Hello, and welcome to Tech in Maine Presents. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech in Maine Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Eli Sugarman. He is a program officer at the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. As the head of the Cyber Initiative, he leads a 10-year, $130 million grant-making effort that aims to build a more robust cybersecurity field and improve policymaking. Eli, say hello to the Tech in Maine Presents audience. Hi, everybody. Well, hi there, Eli. It is such an honor to have you on the Tech in Maine Presents podcast. I'm really looking forward to the time that we're going to get to spend together over the next few minutes. And so, Eli, without any further ado, why don't you share your background with our audience? Sure, no, and just thank you again for having me. I've been uh, looking forward to having a chance to talk with you and your listeners. My background is a bit mixed. Um, I worked in the U.S. government at the State Department for a number of years, working on political, military, and international security issues, doing a lot of regional work in Latin America and the like. And then um, that was actually when uh, John Bolton happened to be the Undersecretary of State for International Security and Arms Control. So I technically worked for John Bolton at an early stage in my career. Oh, wow. And then, um, yeah, left the State Department as after putting in about six years as a civil servant and went to law school and thought uh, learning law and becoming a lawyer working on international legal issues would sustain me. And instead, after law school, did a little bit more emerging markets consulting work. So I worked with clients in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other emerging markets on a range of projects that uh, took a technology turn in that job. So a lot of, you know, rolling out mobile banking, acquiring wireless spectrum, issues like those. And then along the way, met my wife, who is a policy and legal person at a major technology company. And I decided that the issues that she was working on day in, day out were were clearly the most important and interesting ones, given my interests, and said, I want to work on those issues too. And after a a few years of going deep into those issues and writing a fair amount, um, was lucky enough to land at the Hewlett Foundation in 2014. And I've been running our grant making on cybersecurity and internet policy ever since. And I am a from California originally and, and glad to be back in my native state, even if Southern California is still what I think of as home. Northern California is still a nice, nice part of the country too. Great. And so Eli, thank you so much for sharing that background. And of course, you're there at the Hewlett Foundation running the cyber initiative. Tell us, what has you most excited about your work at the Hewlett Foundation? I think what I find most exciting is just really the fun and joy and intellectual stimulation that comes from really just helping to give really smart, capable people and organizations money and resources to do their work. And so so being a funder, especially at an organization like Hewlett, which really values building institutions and deep relationships with our grantees and partners, it's just very exciting to be in that role because you really get to help and, and make long-term investments and bets that, that hopefully then have a positive impact and, and just really make the world a better place, as cheesy as that sounds. And I'm, I'm not under the illusion that any single decision I make or we make as a foundation then makes the world a better place by, you know, three percentage points or, or whatever. But, but just sort of that, that general mission of this organization, and the way it goes about its business really being strategic and thoughtful it's just really an honor and a pleasure every day to work somewhere like that, which, which I know does sound a little hokey, but it, but it really is fun because there are very few roles where I think 
you get to sit and see the landscape and really try to support the leading thinkers and those emerging experts who are really on the cusp of, of impacting an entire field or an entire conversation. And, and that's really what I find most, most exciting about my job. Well, Eli, as I was um, alluding to just before we came on the air, I was looking at the work that the Hewlett Foundation was doing in partnership with OpenIDO as it related to cybersecurity imagery. And I won't steal any of your thunder, but I am super, super fascinated by the fact that here is a domain within cybersecurity that most of us probably don't even think about. And so I really would love for you to elaborate on that and and talk to us about the importance of cybersecurity imagery. Sure. No, happy to. And and I'm I'm excited that you're excited by this effort because it's actually one of my favorites of, of all the myriad things that, that we have supported. It is one of my favorites and I think really fun and creative for a few reasons. So so sort of the at a high level sort of why this matters. I think that cybersecurity continues to be a somewhat immature conversation in policy circles. That is a lot of people who are opining and claiming to be experts or consciously not experts, don't really know how to describe key concepts. There isn't an agreed upon vocabulary or even taxonomy of terms. And that just shows that it's, it's an immature debate and an immature field that has evolved very rapidly over some number of years. And, you know, to, to sort of like borrow the old adage, a picture tells a thousand words, um, we don't really have a good way to describe key concepts and to connect with average internet users to explain why they need to change behavior to keep themselves safe. And, you know, words are getting better, but really I think a lot of people are visual learners. And if you can't show something visually and depict it in an image or, or some other visual um, representation, it really shows that your thinking and the way you're communicating is immature. And I think that, that the fact that if you do a Google image search of cybersecurity, what you what returns is is frankly garbage. It's green ones and zeros from the matrix. It's locks and shields and swords and medieval battle imagery and hooded people, generally white men sitting behind keyboards. It's server racks. It's the anonymous face. It's it's weird stuff that has a few things in common. One, evoking fear, and then two, not actually describing anything in any detailed way. And so if that is the best that we can do showing what cybersecurity, and I'm doing air quotes, is, it just shows that we're not actually doing a good job communicating why these are important issues or why people should care and then what they should do about it. And so that's at a high level sort of, I think, why we care about it. Because our mission, as you said at the outset, is really to build this field. And if we can't communicate about it, we need, we need to do better. So the reason we started this project was even though we had sort of mocked sort of what the imagery was, um, it, it took sort of a couple of our grantees and partners to come to us and say, hey, we're doing this big new report on, on encryption or offensive cyber or whatever the case was. And where do you guys get cover images for the report? Where do we get better stuff for our briefing docs? Where do we get better content for our website and images? And we said, well, you know what? We typically hire a graphic artist because we have a modest budget to do that. And, you know, sometimes what we get back is good and sometimes it's it's just medium. but." We could see why you're facing this problem because we too at the foundation face it. Just, you know, look at our website. And so that sort of triggered once a few more people had asked us that. We said, you know what? This is a problem for the field. It's not individualized to one or two institutions. How can we go about 
exploring this, understanding it better, and then trying to sort of offer up what better images could be. And so um, we did some thinking and, and connected with IDEO. And, you know, given their creative network and just, you know, design thinking process, which is very unique, and they have a special sauce that's just fascinating. We said, let's first study the problem. And so they, they did this great deep dive report on the state of cybersecurity imagery that you can link to off their website or ours that really documents this poor state of imagery and why that's a problem and really applies a visual communication lens to explain why none of these images actually do what you want them to do. And then piece two of the project was now that we've diagnosed the problem, let's design a contest and a set of incentives to get a lot of visual creators and artists around the world to come up with quote unquote better quality images that can be used by folks throughout the community and be openly licensed. And that was the contest that we ran that culminated last year, global contest with entrants from dozens of countries, $50,000 in prize money. And some really interesting art came from that. And we're now at the point of creating a microsite to host it so that everybody can use it because it's all openly licensed under Creative Commons. And we're really excited to see how our grantees use these images, but then also how other artists pick them up and riff off them and further develop them or other organizations say, hey, I was inspired and I'm going to work with a designer or an artist to do another piece of art that, that we think helps communicate. And really, hopefully it'll, it'll kickstart a bit more the maturation of, of how the cybersecurity community communicates and tells stories and really connects with people because these are really important issues. That's a bit of, of sort of how we, how we came to the project. Okay. And so, Eli, you, you shared a number of interesting things. And one of them that I wanted to pull on was the lack of maturity when it comes to visually depicting cybersecurity. In my seat, I have the good fortune of being able to speak with some of the neatest folks in cybersecurity, and they'll expound upon how mature security programs are. And so it's, it's interesting when you have, when you use the word maturity, it's typically in relation to a cybersecurity program. But the lack of maturity, you don't commonly think of that. And I'm glad to have you make use of that word as it relates to the imagery, because you're right. If I've ever posted anything on one of the social media platforms, the image I typically use is one of the ones you mentioned, right? It's the matrix look uh, yep. with the zeros and ones, and it's the hoodie or the, the, the server rack at a data center. And so, again, to borrow something that you said, it, it typically evokes fear, but there is that creative space for better content and images. And I love, love, love the fact that you're allowing for the free sharing and repurposing of the images from that visual challenge. I'm glad that it resonates and we're hoping that, that other folks will likewise be inspired and, and use the images and then take them in a different direction. And, you know, I think this is hopefully just the beginning of a broader push to try to, you know, develop a better way to really communicate on, on cybersecurity issues. Okay. And so, Eli, with the Cyber Visuals Challenge, let me ask, what was the biggest insight you gained from the visual creators that participated in the challenge? I think probably that is possible to come up with better quality images, right? I mean, I know that sounds sort of obvious, but, but when you do something like this, you're sort of like, well, if it was really easy, people would have already done it, right? Putting aside that a lot of the images 
are used by the private sector, some of whom are trying to sell you services. And so getting you scared sometimes makes you more receptive to buying stuff. But, but so I, I think what, what I found to be the biggest insight was there are hungry visual designers and artists out there who really like this issue set and want to dive in and learn and really come up with completely different creative, sometimes zany visual depictions. And that, that community is out there. You just need to know how to tap it. And so it is possible to bridge the creative community and the cybersecurity expert technical policy community, depending on what piece of it you want, to then sort of you know learn from each other and then to get the designers and artists sort of to generate something new. And so just to say that that, that insight that it is in fact possible to do that and that there's still a lot of work that can still be done in that space, I think was sort of the biggest insight that we came away with. And I think the second insight is that a lot of the imagery and depictions are very context specific. And so what I mean by that is there are several cool images that came from the winning cadre. Um, one of them is a series of basically ink drawings that are essentially sort of darker versions of an sort of a old school children's book, if you would, where S is for spear fishing. And then there's sort of this, this somewhat grisly depiction of something being spearfish in a way where you're like, oh, I get it. It's like an old children's fable or tale, you know, with the letter, you know, sort of coming out prominently in a very gripping way. And, you know, you can use that in certain instances. In other instances, you would need some text to contextualize it. Otherwise, people wouldn't quite get it. And so just to say that there isn't a one-size-fit-all. And so we need a whole diverse array of different options for people to borrow from. And then it'll take a bit of time to develop all those diverse offerings. But there are several initially promising directions that came from this cohort that, that, that really gave us excited us to see that like it is possible to generate better images and it just takes a little bit of time and some resources and a willingness to learn and to partner with somebody who may be from a different community, but it is in fact doable, which we weren't sure what, what the output would be, right? But I think we're pretty excited to see some of the images that came out of the contest. Eli, in your work there at the foundation, besides imagery, what other issue concerns you most within the cybersecurity ecosystem? I think a lot of things concern me about the cybersecurity ecosystem. I think one is that there isn't enough long-term investment, especially in multidisciplinary work. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of government spending and a lot of corporate spending is driven by short cycles and budgeting cycles of 12 months, 24 months. And, and so to really do anything and do anything well, you need a multi-year consistent investment. And that's especially true if what you're trying to get at is how do we solve a real issue in cybersecurity? It's never a purely technical issue, right? There are humans always involved. And so I think definitionally, you have to become multidisciplinary. You have to think about behavioral science, law, policy, incentives, all of that. And to do that kind of work, whether it's at a, a university, a think tank, some other type of organization, it cannot be done in three, six months. It's a longer term process. And I think that very few people in the ecosystem are actually investing resources over the long term on those problems. They're focusing on shorter term technical problems that are sort of like putting band-aids or, or putting your finger in various holes in the dike, but aren't actually getting at some of those system level challenges that are definitionally super hard and complicated and messy. But that's really, you know, we have system level challenges, but instead we're sort of on a shorter term time cycle tackling the tactical ones. And I think, I think there's a mismatch there that's going on. 
Well, Eli, I would, I would have to agree, sir. I would definitely have to agree. But let's do this. Let's pivot into um, some questions that are more specific to Eli. And so okay. um, we'll start off with, uh, what is your favorite musician or band? So I'm sure like most people, I would say it's hard to pick one musician or band, but I'll, I'll throw out one. One of my favorite bands is a, is a Mexican rock group called Mana that is a bit like probably had their prime in the 90s and early 2000s. But I, you know, I'm a big fan of their music. They do great concerts. And um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Mana. Okay, awesome. And so let's follow that up with a favorite sports team. Favorite sports team. So I'm going to take this opportunity to say who's not my favorite sports team because being a San Diegan, I am pissed at the San Diego Chargers and their owners, the Spanoses, who are bad people for moving the team to LA. So I am, I'm no longer a Chargers fan. So I'm announcing that. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, just, to, just to be clear. Right. Just I, to I have, put that I, out there. I, I, have, I have major rage about that. Like um, the Spanos family, if you're listening, like, yeah, you should be ashamed of yourselves. So I'm going to I'm gonna put in a plug for my San Francisco 49ers, like local team going to the Super Bowl, love what they've done with the team, love their defense. And so, and I live 15 minutes from the stadium. So go Niners. Hey, what's, what's not to love about that? I will put in a plug for um, Coach Shanahan. Obviously, being here in Atlanta and uh, still not recovering, from that Super Bowl collapse of three years ago, it's hard to deal with Eli. Uh, <laughs> don't know how I get out of bed some days, but you know, we, we must soldier on, right? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. But Coach Shanahan is a great guy, and um, if you look at his story, especially coming after that Super Bowl debacle, it's nice to see the bounce back and um, just what what a, a great turnaround. The 49ers, to me. I mean, and I'm a child of the 80s, so I remember the Joe Montana Super Bowl, the Bill Walsh Super Bowl oh, yeah. years, right? Oh, so yeah. um, it's, it's nice to they see. Yeah, they, they were, you know, um, you know, some of those games at Candlestick Park, right? I remember those days, and it's, it's nice to see what, to me, is one of the better franchises um, in the NFL. You hear a lot about Patriots way and, you know, the Steelers and to fans and supporters of those franchises, kudos and thumbs up to you. But I think certainly the 49ers are um, right up there with, um, yeah, you know, they've, um, they've though, though they've had their ups and downs. I mean, like the ownership, the way they, they sort of showed um, Harbaugh the door and what, and how they treated Kaepernick are just hugely problematic in, in my mind and just incredibly short-sighted and stupid. So I, I'm hopefully they've learned something from those experiences. And I, I, I do think they've, they've put together a good team, but even great franchises make mistakes. And I think um, they've made a couple in the last few years and obviously the team has now recovered, but I mean, Harbaugh and, and Kaepernick in particular, I think they made some, they made some, some bad decisions there. And Eli, thank you for highlighting that. And I, I think those were, some certainly dark times, not just for the 49ers, I think, but for the league as a whole, the entire situation, you know, was not handled um, the best way that it could have been. But if we step back and, you know, look at teams and the opportunity to do better, not just in professional sports, but in our professional lives in life in general, right? Um, hopefully you learn from your mistakes and uh, you go on to do better things. Indeed. Okay. And so, Eli, how about a favorite vacation spot? Ooh, that's a good question. So, 
favorite vacation spot. So, I mean, my wife and I met in Washington, D.C. And so our favorite getaway, you know, which we only did, you know, like, I don't know, maybe once a year was Tulum, Mexico, south of Cancun, beautiful little beach town. And Washington, D.C. is surprisingly close to Cancun. It's not that long of a flight. So Tulum is one of the places that uh, I think is one of my favorite vacation spots. Okay. Awesome. And so let's get in our time machines and travel back to meeting 18-year-old Eli. Um, Sitting from where you are now, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? So I was in San Diego at the time and about to go to Vermont for college. And I would have said, bring warmer clothes because Vermont's really, 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 really cold. <laughs> so smallest uh, piece of advice, bigger piece of advice would just be, you know, don't be so shy and just take advantage of all the opportunities you have and can make. Just like be a little bit more, you know, like I was a bit reserved and a bit nerdy and a bit quiet and, and should have pushed to come out of my shell a little bit earlier than I did. And I think I would have had even more fun and enjoyed those last couple of years before I turned 20 and then my 20s more, that, that would probably be the biggest piece of advice that applies to several different contexts and situations. Okay, great. And so, Eli, how about the one person that you are following that's innovative? I guess I'm going to have to go with like John Favreau or J.J. Abrams and thinking about Star Wars, Star Trek, and sort of freshening up those franchises, which are near and dear to my heart. So, and sort of, you know, the Marvel universe. So I, I'd say, I'd say, Favreau and, and Abrams, given their work on some of those pop culture properties I really like and freshening them up, which is, you know, only innovative in some degree and not really for cybersecurity. But that's a half-baked answer I've got for you. Okay, first off, let's just clear the air here. That is not half-baked in any way, shape, or form. Um, you are talking to a Marvel Universe nerd. And so that is... A very astute answer, sir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say I was super excited to watch the Picard series last night. It pains me to actually pay CBS to stream, but I love Marvel. I love Star Trek, Star Wars. If you could see my office right now, I feel like all the old toys that I can't have at home for various reasons are all sitting around me arrayed. And so that environment, I think, is a, my happy place. I think that sounds like a great happy place, Eli. <laughs> and so um, with that, Eli, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share what you're doing there um, at the foundation. Again, I think it's just, it's so neat to be able to consider the different aspects of cybersecurity. And I'm really hoping that people will go and take a look at some of the winning submissions and, you know, consider how you can use them, how you can support them. And as Eli mentioned, you know, maybe there's some ways that you can build on that imagery and um, create your own visuals and just add to the conversation and add to the flavor. Eli, before we let you go, how can we best get in contact with you? I would say that, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Eli Sugarman. Also, you know, through the Hewlett Foundation website, www.hewlett.org slash cyber actually it's slash strategy slash cyber or just like click on the website link or LinkedIn, you know, any of the major sort of uh, platforms or ways like that are three good ways to, to get in touch. Okay. And of course we'll have all of that information and more in the show notes. And so again, Eli, thank you so much for taking time to be with us, but also I want to take time to thank 
our listening audience. And Tech and Main presents family as usual. We appreciate you listening and be sure to tune in next time when we'll have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to check back regularly for the next episode and tell your friends. Thank you.